This is True Crime One-on-One from the Fedora Chronicles. I'm your host, Eric Renderkang Fisk. On this episode, the best new true crime stories, serial killers, author and editor, Mitzi Soretto. Mitzi Soretto and I talk about the writing and editing process for true crime authors and editors. We also talk about the wonderful true crime community and how so many fans work hard as armchair detectives and support people like us who create content, how social media and streaming services have helped and hurt the genre, and what makes for a great, credible true crime story. We talk about her book that kept me up many nights and its follow-up, The Best New True Crime Stories, Small Towns. And be sure to go to thefedorachronicles.com slash truecrime to find the show page with the link to find Mitzi Soretto's books. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Okay. Yeah. Oh, do you know how to say my surname? I do not. I was actually going to start the podcast asking you, how do you pronounce your last name, Mitzi? Soretto. Soretto. Yeah, the Z is silent. Okay. So, what's your what's your background and what's your what's your origin, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't mind. I'm Hungarian origin. We like Zs or Zs, as we say in in Europe. It's a Z, or in yes. Canada, it's a Z. But yeah, you, you know, either Hungarians, Czechs, and 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 Poles. We love Zs. <laughs> so, Mitzi, I want to I want to thank you so much for coming on to the the podcast. I want to thank you for this incredible book of yours that has given me plenty of sleepless nights. Let's start with, with the beginning. Let's start with you. And um, let's start, I wanna ask you, as, as a person and as an author, how are you holding up with, with this coronavirus crisis? And what are you doing to manage your time? Oh, you know, it's it's really um, anxiety inducing, you know, I mean, you, you, you can't really tune it out. I mean, even if you avoid the news, it's, you know, you've got social media, which as somebody who's an author, I have to use. It's the nature of the game. Um, fortunately, I do work from home. Um so that's not particularly been affected, but obviously, um, you know, once in a while, I'd like to get out for a pint yep. <laughs> and now everything's pretty much shut down. Um, I've been, you know, trying to avoid people as much as possible. Um, I've been so far, I haven't been to a supermarket in the last week and a half, and I'm, I know that that's going to have to happen. So that's probably the, I'm, I'm dreading that yeah. as much as, as, as much as any potential contamination, you know, they say stay home, but you, you run out of provisions and then everything's apparently really o- overcrowded. So I, what, what do you do either starve or, or risk getting the virus? <laughs> Well, that's the great thing about my wife because she's she's willing to sacrifice me to go to the grocery store and do all the shopping for her. That's true love. <laughs> it, 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 it really is, um, and and of course I have to take pictures for her and let her know. Okay, because in the past I used to forget to get things on her list for her, and and I would say to her, oh, "Honey, I'm sorry, they're out. I'm I'm sorry." And she she's caught on to the fact. So usually I take a photograph of of where I usually find it in the aisle. So she'll okay, all right. So they didn't have it. Now when I say they're out, 
what is she going to do? She's going to say I'm lying or yeah. I've, I've taken pictures of the aisle with empty shelves. And it's it's um, it's be, it's become it's become pretty hair raising. And it, it is, it's, you know, I, I, I would I think I think the situation is being made worse than it needs to be. Um, I'm not I'm not lightening the the severity of this virus, but people really need to get a grip yeah. and they need to stop this crap about grabbing everything that's in the store, stuff they never eat. I'm sure they're buying kale and they never eat kale. You know, it's just ridiculous. If if people would just chill out a bit and get what they need and let's just keep things up and running. But you know, it's this panic is is worse than the virus and, and that's that's probably gonna affect a lot of people mentally i i kind of i think this is a good time to get into the mental health profession because they're going to have a lot of new patients absolutely but has this affected your writing at all i'll be honest it's 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 a bit difficult because right now i'm i'm at a kind of a uh, a free zone. I, I just delivered a book, uh, which is the second of my true crime series. So right now I'm just, um, I have a bit of time between now and when the proofs come in to be proofed. Uh, proofs proofing, yeah. Uh, and the thing is, is I had some projects that I kept putting on hold and I was really looking forward to getting stuck back in that, but I'm finding it rather difficult to actually focus on anything. I mean, I'm still constantly promoting the new book and, and, and getting word out about um, the upcoming book for the summer release. So that's like an endless thing. But yeah, from a creative standpoint, um, I'm just feeling a little bit um, uh, stymied. <laughs> Let's switch gears for a second and talk about you and your background and how did you become a writer? And, and and your process in becoming a, a, a true crime writer, um, author, editor, how did you, did you have like a, a morning when you woke up in, in junior high and said, I'm going to tell my guidance counselor I'm going to be a professional writer or did something else happen? Funny you mention that because um, I've I've always been extremely creative um, from from uh, probably elementary school. You know, I was I was playing musical instruments. Um, I would even write songs. Uh, I was drawing. I was painting. I was writing. Um, I was I've been a book lover since I first learned how to read. So I think that that probably set me up for this path. But um, I actually, you know, I had three different avenues that I was looking at in my youth, either professional in, um, in music and some, you know, uh, or an artist or a writer. Um, I thought art was going to be the avenue that I would pursue. And I did, uh, study art in in college uh, and then you know at one point uh, I I'll, I'll be honest with you you know in school I was I was I was a pretty good writer I mean all of my teachers my English teachers were constantly praising my work and and thought that I was way above everybody else mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, although considering some of the students that were with me that's probably wasn't too difficult yeah but um, so I, th- I think probably this I don't think anyone would be surprised that I ended up being a professional writer. Um, but as I said, I was going between art and, and writing uh, in my adulthood. And I was painting a lot, especially when I lived in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco area. But I, I it was a matter of selling a book before I sold a painting. And then I thought, well, you know, I guess this is possibly where I should, you know, put the eggs in this basket. 
but you haven't always been a, a, a true crime writer or author. Um, by looking at your Amazon author page, you've also written other types of books. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, a lot of things that I've ended up being uh, doing quite well in, I fell into accidentally. Um, I was writing novels when I first started out and trying to get them published, and uh, it was it's dif- it was difficult, and it's it's still difficult, obviously. Uh, and then I just um, had a chance meeting with someone at a party in San Francisco who told me he was an erotica writer, which um, and then he was like driving all over the place with these short stories in the in the back of his car. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Uh, and so he said, "Oh, let me go get some, and you can read them." And I'm like, "Oh God, what did I do to deserve?" this and um, so um, they were pretty bad but for, I think it just sort of made me think like hmm um, I wonder if I should try this so I actually did and I started to get books published and anthologies uh, that I came up with uh, you know ideas for anthologies so that for I spent quite a bit of um, my early career doing uh, erotic fiction um, now I should say um, I was I suppose uh, you could say I was a bit of a snob. Uh, I did not want to do the stroke books. I wanted to elevate the genre into something that had some substance and some uh, just, you know, some merit to it. And so that's what I was trying to achieve. Um, When I was in Europe, I actually ended up accidentally teaching erotic writing workshops, and it became a bit of a cottage industry for me. Uh, I was teaching them at literature festivals, uh, master classes at universities. I was doing residential courses, in, for instance, in the Greek islands, uh, all over the place. So that sort of, you know, the erotic writing segued into that. And, you know, after a while, it's like, okay, I've done this. It's really time to move on. Um, I was doing other projects as well at the time. It's just I wasn't getting as much attention for them. But I was doing, uh, I've done some crime fiction, uh, things like that. Uh, Some of the erotic projects were really more so gothic fiction and that sort of thing. Uh, I've done some horror, uh, some cozy mysteries that I partnered with my famous bear, Teddy Tetaloo, on. Mm -hmm. And then the true crime happened again by accident. (laughs) So I will say that has kept you up at night is my true crime debut. So I'm glad that it's been successful to keep you up at night. Um, Because what usually happens is that um, I'll be driving home and I have a 40 to 45 minute drive home. And the way that the, the book is set up, especially for audible listeners, is that the chapters are absolutely, totally perfect for my commute home, uh, give or give or tape a couple of minutes, but it's sort of like it's like that NPR moment. Whereas it's like once you get to your destination, you stay in the car because you want to listen to the very end. Your book is a lot like that, except I can't wait until tomorrow morning to drive in. Uh, I I will I will cozy up with um a. Uh, uh, go to bed my wife is reading her her novel one of the outlander novels and i have the book plugged in to my ears and it's like wait a minute i'm trying to fall asleep listening to a book about serial killers (laughs) and i'm just like i'm i'm wide awake 
what's that noise? What's that sound? <laughs> Was that someone at the window? <laughs> you know, and um, what? I, and you and I had a, a, a little bit of a conversation about this online when we were texting each other back and forth, and I. I we really wanted to talk more about what is it about serial killers? What is it about serial killers that is so fascinating? And why, why the interest? Why the sort of obsession with serial killers? What's your take yeah. on that question? Well, yeah, I, I know. It's, it seems like the public can't get enough of serial killers these days. <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> well, you know, um, I think there's, you know, there's always something new to be learned, even about the cases that we've heard about again and again and again. Um, but I think, I think what makes it so fascinating is that this is probably as dark as you can possibly get on the crime spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this isn't like um, bank robbers or or kidnappers or I mean, you know, serial killers. This is way out there way out there and and most people i i hope so cannot really identify with what it would be like to be a serial killer i mean when if you want to talk about killing i think probably most of us could say we could understand what would provoke someone you know um, i mean say a crime of passion or 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 something in anger that you just you know but but serial killing that you you how do you identify with that so it's it's something that we kind of want to you know we want to figure this out somehow we want to get into these people's heads and try to make sense of it and you know there may be no way to make sense of it i personally don't think there really is but by by discussing it, you know, for instance, like the stories in my book, uh, you get a bit of an idea, of perhaps what makes these people tick and, and what their motivation is, what actually pushed them in this direction, what triggered it. And 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 that's enlightening. And we 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 kind of want to know that we want to understand. Because for me, and this is the first time I've ever actually discuss this on the podcast um my my mother's boyfriend in the early 80s was a sadist and he was a really dark character just a, just a, a a really bad person with very few redeeming qualities and he did some pretty pretty dark and evil things when he was living with me and my family my parents had been divorced since 74. I didn't see my dad for 12 years. What I didn't realize is that my, my dad was trying really hard to get back in touch with us and to be back in our lives. And because of his, his background in the military and he had a lot of friends who were in the police force, um, he asked one of his friends in the police, could you do a background check on my ex-wife's boyfriend and it had turned out and I didn't realize this until years I didn't find out about this until years after my my mom and her boyfriend broke up and he moved out of the house and and he disappeared he was wanted for questioning in the disappearance of at least three women in the state of Maine oh my god and Rumor has it, or not rumor, he, he told my brother 
that after serving in Vietnam, he brought back the head of, of a Vietnamese woman from overseas. And what kind of person does that? What kind of person becomes something like that? Evil that person. is really scary when it strikes so close to home like that. I mean, most of us can are, have the safety between us and these pages, and 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 you know, it's not something that's affected us personally. But right. um, yeah, having it in the in the family unit is uh, that's pretty way out there. Sleeping in the in the in the bedroom next to mine and my brothers, and my and my brother and I. And th- I mean, there were all these warning signs with cruelty to animals, cruelty to children, and, and, and then meeting his family. And they're perfectly normal, nice people. And what happens to this, to this man? It can't. It can't all be the, the the war because there are plenty of people who came back from the war and and aren't like that. Exactly. It exactly. To, it has to be well, something you, else. You know, I I do believe that it's I do believe that there is such a thing as a bad seed. I mean, yes, we people can be shaped by things that have happened in their life, but I mean, you know, we've seen enough evidence over time that some people do seem to be born bad. Right. <laughs> Some, something happened to them somewhere in their in their in the womb or or some cell from something got in there and just made them this evil person and and you know what do you do with someone like that I don't know you know and it's unexplainable sometimes it's simply exactly. unexplainable um, but that's not the only that's not the only brush with the serial killer that I've had and I didn't realize this until I read your book especially um, the chapter, The Accidental Serial Killer. And much of this story takes place just down the road from where I live. Um, and, and one of the first bodies found in this case was in Birch Hill Dam, where my family have hiked plenty of times in the past oh. 20 or 30 years. And I'm kind of like, is it me? <laughs> is it just, or is it just coincidence? I don't... Um, and all of these stories are fascinating to such an extent, but there is something about those stories that do take place close to home. You have perhaps one of the most famous serial killers in your, in your own backyard. If you're still living in the San Francisco area, the Zodiac killer. Is there well now I'm actually right now I'm in the Pacific Northwest, which is a real hotbed for this sort of thing. So obviously location is everything is what is it about living in an area where you know that there had been a serial killer in the area? Is there something to that? Is there is there something about that that makes it more real or more terrifying? I mean, it must. You know, uh, 
Fortunately, there's, I don't know of any that are up here since I've been here, but um, uh, uh, just sort of a, as an aside here, um, I actually had to sort of close the door to British serial killers because I was getting in so many for this book. And there are quite a few in this book. So it does make you wonder because, I mean, I'm also British and have lived in Britain for a number of years. So you sort of wonder, why is this small country producing all these people? You know, the United States is huge. You know, we have a huge population. Right. So I supposed you would have, you know, that it makes sense to have, you know, be the number one on the serial killers list. But but little Britain. Yeah. Well, you, you, you do realize that you have so much material for another book. I mean, hint, hint. I mean, are, are you going to keep. Well, will there be an update to the, the one book that you've done on serial killers so far? Well, actually, um, I've actually discussed that with my publisher. I said I've had a lot of people say, you know, we would love some more volumes on serial killers. I mean, I'm not going to say no. It could always happen down the line. But right now, um, the the next book is uh, Small Towns. So it's uh, the, the best new true crime story, Small Towns. And that book is coming out this summer. So I think it looks like so far there'll be a different subject for for each series. But you never know. You know, we we could be back by popular demand. Oh, I would almost guarantee it. How many stories are in this book, um, Serial Killers? I'm trying to do a quick count on the copy that I have. 16, I think it is. 16. Um, I know that this is uh, this this is this is crazy. Do you have a favorite story in this book? Oh, I keep, yeah, people keep asking me that. And it's really hard to choose because I mean, for one thing, they're all so different. Um, and, and, you know, then if I go say favorites, then my contributors, my contributors will feel sad that if I didn't mention right, their stories. Right. <laughs> well, what, so that's just like, that's that's a that's a solid. I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, so. You know, I think each story on its own is 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 an excellent story, and and they're all very different. Uh, I mean, there's there's a number of stories in here that are first person accounts of of uh, of where the writer has actually encountered the serial mm-hmm. killer through mm-hmm. through some means, some some of which may be unexpected or whatever. So I mean, those I was really excited to get because obviously. You know, as as true crime writers, we have to research and research and research. But imagine actually having had the face to face, you know, no one can research that. No one can duplicate that experience. So, you know, that that's pretty exciting to me that I got in quite a few of those pieces. How did you meet your contributors? Well, I've I've edited lots and lots and lots of anthologies. And so um, when I look for um, writers, I cast a very wide net. Um, I post this call for submissions every place I can conceivably post it, Uh, obviously social media. Um, And then for this particular book, because this was the first in the series and my first true crime book, uh, I thought, you know, I'll reach out to some writers that I actually know and and, and look up some people that I think would be an interesting addition. So I probably... um, 
personally recruited about half of the writers in the book, uh, asking if they would like to write something new for me for this new series. And and then the rest um, was just open to chance. And it was amazing because at the last minutes, some some real winners mm-hmm. came in. You know, I mean, literally the door was shut. I mean, one person was saying, oh, my God, I just found out about your submission call. And oh, it's, it's tomorrow is the deadline and, and I haven't written anything, but I have an idea. And, and their idea and their background was enough to make me say, I will wait for you. I will hold a space. Which, again, makes me wonder if there's going to be a volume two. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I, and I, here's, here's the thing. I don't mean to sound too pushy um, or I, or like demanding but i really enjoyed this anthology i i mean i really could not stop listening to it and i it's sort of like do you think that there's a chance that you may if you do a volume two there's going to be a volume three is there a chance that you may go to the well one too many times and you'll get like diminishing returns or do you think that there's just so much great material out there that you could keep doing this if you decided to? Well, um, you know, when I approach an anthology, it's it's my goal not to be regurgitating what everyone else mm-hmm, does. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that I was doing a book on serial killers, that was foremost in my mind because there are so many books about serial killers. I mean, people are literally making a living off of Ted Bundy, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to offer something new, even if it's a case that is that that's very familiar. For instance, there are some cases in this book that are quite well known, you know, Dr. Harold Shipman, Fred and Rosemary West, you know, pretty much everybody knows these serial killers. Uh, so I wanted to make sure the writers had a different approach to add something new to the to the to what's already known. So that's how I go about doing my books. So I would like to hope that if there is a second volume or a third volume, I will continue to follow in this vein and there will constantly be fresh voices offering a fresh take on a case. Um, Having said that, I do encourage uh, my writers to to cover some stories that are really not household names, you know, some serial killers that are not, you know, that everybody knows, some people that are more obscure. I find that the most fun. And also for readers, especially hardcore true crime readers, mm-hmm. where they say, wow, man, I never heard of that guy. You know? Can you think of any on the top of your head that demand more attention or should have more attention? I'm not, I'm not sure that's quite the right way to say <laughs> Well, I don't know what else, what else to say it as well. Is, are, are, are there other cases that are lesser known that should get more attention or... I'm not. I'm not even sure if that's the right way to ask the question. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Well, I, you know, I don't want to give it away because then someone else will nick the idea. So I'm not going to say. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is a competitive business, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so all of the true crime listeners who are listening to this right now should just keep at it and just keep doing your research. Um. Now, how about like true crime podcasting in general? Um, 
one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is that I really wanted to get into the, the, the mindset of the people who write these books and do the investigations. Um, what, what does it take to be a good, true crime writer? Um, I think what you what you've just said is is foremost. Um, I you know uh, I definitely discourage people from anything sensationalist uh, and anything that glamorizes the crimes. And with the serial killers book, that was a real you know big point for me. Right. I don't want these people glamorized. You know, there's a backlash about true crime and that it's glamorizing you know serial killers, etc. So that was something I was very particular about and I did reject stories because they crossed the line that I wasn't willing to cross mm-hmm. um, so I mean I think it's 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 being thoughtful it's being uh, obviously very well researched you know get your facts right you know one or two sources isn't going to be enough because there's a lot of incorrect information including from newspapers mm-hmm. you know there's you know I've seen plenty when the story I recently wrote for my next book <laughs> the amount of contrast between newspaper articles was ridiculous. Um, But I would say that, you know, you need to be aware of the fact that these are real people we're talking about. And these victims were real victims. And some of these people may still be alive and they may still be out there. And there should be some some sensitivity in your writing because you don't want to victimize people any more than they've been victimized. And Sure, it, they, I'm sure victims don't appreciate having all this stuff rehashed. So you know you have to you have to kind of be on that tightrope that you're not, right. you know, infringing more than you possibly you know need to. Because some of the people that I have interviewed so far have this one thing in common: they want to see justice for the victims. The people who focus on unsolved true crimes would like to play the role of detective and help the authorities find the real killer or find the killer. And they're not really trying to make a name for themselves per se. Three people in particular come to mind. Um, There's a sense of injustice and they want to fix, they, they want to fix what's wrong with this society in general, this case in particular, this victim in in particular. Did you have that in mind when you started writing or compiling this book together? Is there is there something that you wanted to do or accomplish? Uh, Well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, because, you know, that's a big thing right now that uh, a lot of people are, you know, especially with regard to podcasts about unsolved cases and keeping cases in the public eye and almost being a surrogate police officer, you know, when cases just get cold because there's another case and that's what's being worked on right now. Um, I I hadn't really had it foremost in my mind. Um, There is... um, offhand gosh I think there's some open questions in a couple of pieces in the book as far as you know if such and such person really did it etc etc I I suspect I may be seeing more of that as as the series develops Um, but you know I was pretty much open to just seeing how things took shape so it's not that I had a specific um, shall we say 
modus operandi like that, you know, but I mean, obviously, if, if there were contributions coming from people who had that motivation, that would be perfectly acceptable. And I certainly would welcome seeing stuff like that in the future. What do you think about um, the, the, the trends with networks like um, Netflix? It seems like um, every, somewhere between February and March, they do a mini-series, um, like Making a Murderer, The Keepers. There's, a, there's another one online that I've, I've been watching. They seem to devote a lot of time and resources in doing um, these series. Do you think that that helps or hurts? Um, the, the true crime genre um, because they do seem to take one case like the Stephen Avery case it seems like like um, they do they try very hard to show both sides of the case but it's almost to the point whereas it's like Stephen Avery has become sort of like the cause celeb where so many people seem to think that he's innocent and there's also a claim that the, the Netflix producers or the people who produce these shows for Netflix has has cherry picked some facts. And it, it may actually turn out that Stephen Avery probably probably committed the crime that he's spending time in jail for. Do you think that there people should be held accountable for glorifying these people or or misrepresenting the case and trying to, as you said, make these killers celebrities I, I i'm uncomfortable with with that idea of as you're saying cherry picking facts and 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 pushing a story in a certain direction um I, again i i'm hard, i'm very much for the balance um and the stories in my book have balance even even you know the fact that we know somebody's definitely a serial killer there's still some balance there and some fairness um that, so yeah i i find that really disconcerting because because you know, it's all the, like these 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 dramatizations that we see so much yeah. of, and then we find out at the end that half of the stuff was made up. I, I'm not co quite comfortable with that. Taking actual real events and dramatizing them to the point where it's almost a novel, you know, yeah. a piece of fiction. So um, yeah, I, I think that I think that could be a bit damaging, and I don't think it's necessarily a good thing for true crime because you know what the word is at the beginning true right you look at a series like um serial sarah koenig's series on npr and they did like i think i'm not sure if it was six or 12 it was it was it was a long series and it was like at the end of one episode you think okay the suspect is obviously innocent the next episode oh he's obviously guilty they spend a lot of time making sure that you have all the facts. And then there are other podcasts, and I won't mention any names. It's like they have an agenda, and they want you to believe a certain thing. And like I said, they cherry pick. But the thing is, is that it's like there's no, there's no true crime committee that says, oh, you didn't do this right, or you didn't do that right, nor should there be. But do you think... Do you think that there ought to be some kind of safeguards 
or some something to keep people from over dramatizing or celebrating these serial killers is how can we prevent that in the future how can we prevent somebody from making charlie manson into um a celebrity well how could we go about that i honestly think that ship has sailed i don't think there is any way to 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 rein this in the only thing is is to perhaps uh listen to the podcasts and read the writers who do have a high level of integrity and ignore the rest and hopefully they will just fade away into the distance because I don't see that there's any way to oversee it. And and then again, it's, you know, it's, it's like a form of censorship, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just think it should be buyer beware. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if somebody is feeding you, uh, feeding you something that is not necessarily the true, uh, you need to find your in- entertainment and your information someplace else. What do you think about true crime fans in general? Um, oh, gosh. You know, um, as I said, I'm rather new to the genre, mm-hmm, but um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I recently did a book signing up in the Vancouver, B.C. area. And um, so obviously, you know, several people who were real hardcore true crime people, uh, true crime fans showed up and and they are so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and it's nothing to, you know, if people don't know about true crime, they're going to think, oh, it's just a bunch of prurient people you know they just want to get entertained off of people's misery that's actually not true yes exactly these people are just um they're into this stuff and they you know they want to know what's happened and they want these cases to be out there and the information to be out there and they want to see justice as you mentioned earlier um they are not any kind of cliche because one of the things that i have noticed since doing true crime episodes of my podcast is that there have been so many people who said you got to talk to this person you got to talk to this person you got to have this person on your podcast i got to make sure that you get on that person's podcast here's a story that you've got to talk about because it's an unsolved crime can you please help this woman get the word out about her sister i have i've never ever seen anything like this before where everybody is so inclusive once they find out that you're you have a project they are so desperate to make sure that you feel welcome and know that they're a resource that you can utilize in the future there are a couple of people who have cases that they're they're trying to solve one of the other episodes that i'm working on right now where there's a woman who i believe that she's our age or my age um who's trying to find who killed her sister what started out as just looking for her sister's killer turns out to be just the tip of the iceberg she has found out so many things about the neighborhood or the city where she and her her sisters grew up she found out things about her sister that she didn't know that kind of like and what's going on with the police department it's amazing finding people who are so enthusiastic about this and it and here's the thing that i found shocking true crime fans are not just a bunch of ghouls hiding out in their in their mother's basement or their attic you know 
in, in enjoying this. It's almost as if they they hate the fact that there are these true crimes and they want to be a part of of bringing justice to all this. Has there ever been somebody? And I know that you're new to this. Has there anybody who has said to you, as a true crime author or editor, you know, please help me solve this case? Has there anybody yes, approached you? Yes, yes, yes. I had a number of people um, querying me when I had my calls for submissions out. And um, they were telling me all about these, you know, some of them were things that were personal to them that they were involved in. And they wanted to see justice and they wanted these cases to be out there. So, I mean, it's really hard because, I mean, there's only so much room in the book. Uh, you know, some of these people were not really very professional writers. And yes, I edit the book and I did a lot of editing mm -hmm. on this book. You know, I, I worked very hard on this book, but I can't practically write someone else's story. And, and it's terrible to have to tell them no, because they're somehow they think I'm going to save them and I'm going to get this their story out there. So that's unfortunate. But, you know, I, I can't just take everything that comes right, in. Right. But there were quite a few people who reached out to me with, with their own personal stories, sending me, you know, newspaper clippings, you know, scanned newspaper clippings, everything you can imagine. No, I, and I can, I can imagine quite a lot. What, what goes into editing these stories for you? You said that there's a lot of work that goes onto it. What, what, did, what did you do to help the authors in this anthology? Well, um, you know, uh, so I, there were some people that I might I made suggestions to them that, you know, why don't you follow this a little bit and, and look into, you know, this aspect of it a bit more. Um, th so that's that's one thing as an editor you do in general anyways. Um, obviously, you know, the fact issue, I mean, one would assume things are fact check when you receive them, but <laughs> you know, never assume. So, you know, um, I would have to clarify a number of things, checking back in with these writers mm -hmm. saying, listen, I'm coming up with something that's slightly different from what you have. And, you know, you need to recheck that, uh, all of that stuff, because again, this is a nonfiction true crime book and I don't want mistakes in there. And, and, you know, that, that kind of, um, diminishes the whole thing so so you know it's a lot of things like that um getting things perhaps you know whipping a story into better shape than it was um you know pacing that sort of thing uh some things needed to be edited down perhaps they were a little lengthier than they really needed to be you know people could get really carried away <laughs> yeah yeah and I'm guilty of that as well, because the thing is, is that you have your little darlings, you, you're married to a piece and it's, you think it's perfect. And when somebody says you got to really sort of trim this, it's, it's, it's hard. Are there, yeah. uh, were there authors who said, no, no, it's perfect. Just the way it is. Don't, don't change anything. It, it, how do you tell somebody, Hey, I know that you're in love with this paragraph, but it doesn't, <laughs> you got to get rid of it. Yeah, you know, you have to be diplomatic because, you know, we're all very um, sensitive, uh, creative souls at the end yeah. of the day. But um, actually, nobody had any fuss about my comments and, and suggestions, and, and they pretty much 
said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And yeah, I see your point, you know. So I think I was pretty fortunate and everybody was professional and, and wanted to do, you know, make their story as as good as it can possibly be. And, you know, that shines well on them. It shines well on me. It shines well on the book. So I also get the sense that you all, you had a lot of autonomy in picking the stories and working with the authors and the editing. Did you have any issues with the publisher? Did the publisher say, we want this or that we need, we need you to do no i had i had 100 percent autonomy on this project i had no no suggestions no concerns nothing so everything was me and all decisions were mine and nobody nobody had a problem with the manuscript that i turned in that's awesome that's that's great um and i even had input into the cover that's great. I mean, it's a great cover. I mean, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, uh, I, I, I like this. Uh, I like working with this publisher because literally, I'm, I'm incorporated into the design process. And you know, you know how, how frustrating it is as an author if you, you have a book come out and the cover's like, oh my god, <laughs> what did they do? You know. So this is great. And being true crime, I was also really conscious. I didn't want one of those schlocky kind of headline covers. Hey, with the, you know, knife and blood dripping kind of, you know, true crime thing, you know. So so I was really conscious of, of the entire project and how I visualized this project to be. And, and I wanted the cover to be an indicator of what's inside, that you weren't going to get some sensationalist crap. <laughs> no, it's I mean, it's it's strange because the thing is, it's it's an anthology on true crime, but it's not overly sensational. Yes, yeah. like, um, it's about people more than anything else. It's about people who do something horrible or people who survive something horrible. And what you're really talking about is an aspect of of humanity at, at its at its darkest. But you are such an upbeat and cheerful person. Um, did any of these stories just shake you and rattle you to your your, your core? And and how did how did you recover from that if they did? Because you you still seem very well balanced. <laughs> uh, well, I, well, I try. Being well balanced these days isn't so easy. Um, well, you know, I I, I have a I, I I guess sort of a talent that I could kind of step away from it and and just look at it you know to compartmentalize that okay now i'm in my true crime editor's hat and i'm reading this stuff that you know I, i'm not going to particularly let it upset me um obviously getting some kind of gut reaction is going to happen and that also mm-hmm. makes an effective story but um, yeah, I think I I was able to step outside from it enough that I wasn't having nightmares every night from reading all this you know material coming in and right. editing it. So right, leave leave that to your uh, to your readers like myself. 
<laughs> yeah, people at 12 midnight listening to this audio book. Oh, that er- that early. Okay. I mean, I'm up until I'm, I'm up until two o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking just one more story. Just one more story. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I By the time I get to um, reading and that sort of yeah. thing, it's probably I start out about midnight. So, yeah, yeah I'm in the same boat. Yeah. But I, I'm not reading about serial killers at midnight. But, you know. Yeah. Also, you work a lot from home and you have access to the Internet. And clearly you're doing uh, research online, I'm assuming. How do you keep yourself from going down rabbit holes when you're doing research? Or is the rabbit holes, is, are the rabbit holes just part of the business? Is it just part of, just part of the life as in writer, editor in true crime? I think it's just par for the course, really. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, if, for instance, just researching my own story, it's like you go and you look and then um, you get all the research you possibly can on the case. But then there's aspects of the case and you say, well, you know, I want to follow in this direction. Like for the piece that I did, I reached out to criminologists and, and forensic psychologists to get their to get some feedback from them and also to provide some new content to, uh, you know, the case. So, yeah, you know, you could just go in lots of different directions. Um, I know it's ahead of the game to mention the book that's coming out this summer, but the piece that I wrote for that, oh, my God, did I go down rabbit holes. I have never worked so hard in my life on one piece of writing, a short piece of writing, Mm -hmm. mind you. You know, we're talking, you know, like 6,500 words. So, yeah, you can definitely get sucked in and follow so many avenues because it's not black and white. There are so many different directions to go in with with these cases. Um, One of the things that I'm really pleased with in the Serial Killers book is that there's 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 discussion about how these these crimes and these cases have had an impact on society and culture and and communities. Uh, I mean, that's something that needs to be addressed. I mean, you know, it's not just about, okay, you know, Joe Blow went out and he killed 10 people. He was put in jail and he was executed. No, that's that's not what the story's about. You know, there's just lots of other aspects to these to these stories and these cases. And and exploring those um, is is something I think that needs to be done. Because there's so much more to the story. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You have the victims and the victims' families and, and the healing process. Yeah, and sometimes there is no healing. You know, the piece on Fred and Rosemary West, um, the the writer is just mentioning how, you know, Gloucester is, is forever tainted by this, you know. Which is a perfect segue to your next book. Um, I'm looking for the title here real quick. <laughs> the Best New True Crime Stories, Small Towns. What is it about small towns that <laughs> adds a certain element to, to true crime? It's a- oh, I I think it's the I think it's that little myth of the small town being this perfect little place, and you know you're immune to all the horrible things that happen in the city, and you know all the unfriendly, mean people in the city, and that's not what small town life is like. But haha, it's not necessarily the case. <laughs> Can you preview in advance any particular story or a particular aspect? of your upcoming book? Um, well, I mean, it's, is I'd say it's as wide reaching as the serial killers book is. I mean, obviously, um, it's, 
discusses the crimes, but it discusses the, you know, very important, the impact on, on the communities and uh, people who live in them. Uh, and, you know, there's some of them, uh, how things are, where, where people perhaps refuse to even believe that someone from their community committed these crimes and actually almost celebrated them when they were, you know, found not to be culpable. And you blindly, you know, you can have that sort of narrowness in, in, in your vision in a small town. Like, you know, my neighbor wouldn't have done that. No. And then it's, well, yes, he did. <laughs> I'm actually getting the thumbs up from my wife. So she's really excited about about this episode. Um, oh, good. Yes. Well, you know, you can pre-order the book already. It's up there for pre-order at all the major booksellers. So. I, or, I, I already have. I, oh, good. I, Excellent. I, I already have. And I'm, I'm really excited about this as well. What do you think about the future of true crime in the age of social media, such as Facebook and Twitter, search engines, um, all of these new true crime groups? starting up um, on social media like Facebook, um, do you think that they help or hinder the process in getting to the bottom of these cases? Because everybody seems to have an opinion and a narrative that they want to share. Yeah, I know it does almost seem like overkill sometime, not not to be funny saying overkill with the <laughs> serial killings book. But, um, you know, I think, I, I don't, I hope people aren't just jumping on the bandwagon. You know, I, I really hope that there is some sense of responsibility behind what they're doing, because, you know, I was really conscious of that. I felt very responsible, you know, even just writing my own story to be fair and get things right and not be necessary, not be painting something in a, in a color that wasn't really accurate. And, and I really would hope that all these people who are coming on board with true crime are going to approach it in the same way. And, and like I said, responsibility, because I really think we need to be responsible in what we're writing about or talking about. And when something becomes really popular and everyone's suddenly doing it, that's a danger. Absolutely. It gets back to the, um, the, the what, what I call the Netflix phenomenon, whereas you have a true crime case and everybody gets on the bandwagon and everybody becomes an armchair detective on this one story. And then other stories that are happening like right now sort of seem to get forgotten or put on the back burner. And it's, it's hard, it's hard to have, it's hard not to get that tunnel vision, I believe. Yeah. Well, also, you know, especially when you're talking about television, it's all about, um, you know, what's going to get the biggest audience. Yeah. And, you know, there may be some some crimes that are not as flashy, yeah. shall we say. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're, they're going to pick the one that is going to get the so-called interest. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you can present something that's not as flashy and make it fascinating and interesting to people. But, you know, everybody's, you know, we have a laziness and, and, and yeah. everyone goes for the easiest option. Yep. Is there, is there a genre that you'd like to um explore when you're done with a true crime where where would you want to go after this well 
you know, I've, I've pretty, I've, I've touched lots of different genres over the years. Um, you know, I, 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 I would love to get back to my, my, this novel that I wrote in England that I keep having to shelve. But as far as an actual genre, um, <clears throat> You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily have anything specific in mind. I just start writing and then it maybe it falls into a genre and maybe it doesn't. So um, it's not that I have like a bullet list of, well, my next book's going to be epic fantasy. I can safely say <laughs> that it will not be. <laughs> I don't want to go down that route. Yeah. But um, that, not necessarily, you know, I'm, whatever happens, happens. Um, you have already done the best new true crime stories serial killers you're coming out with the best new true crime stories small towns is this going to be a trilogy do you have something else lined up for for this series or um yes i have some ideas and um it's in the discussion phase so hopefully um something will come to fruition on that um so yeah, there's definitely other ideas in the pipeline that I have for this series and uh, I hope to continue with it because I really, you know, I'm really happy with how these books have turned out and, and the feedback that I've had has been pretty positive. So clearly, clearly people are enjoying the books and, and finding something valuable in the books. And even when true crime people who have read every conceivable true crime thing and listened to every true crime podcast and seen every true crime TV series are telling me they, they think the book's great. Um, I'm like, Hey, yeah. this is, this is okay. <laughs> yep. And uh, I thought it was just such an amazing coincidence that um, I bought your book and then a little while later, like within a couple of hours, the same night, you showed up on Facebook on, on my feed. And I thought, <laughs> now, I don't know, maybe, this, maybe, maybe you should get, get into conspiracy theories because <laughs> it, it could not have been a coincidence. See, your neighbor up there, Stephen King, is, you know, this is the next novel he needs to write. <laughs> I don't, maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe you I, should do um, true crime. Here, here's a title for you. <laughs> the best new true crime stories, big high tech. <laughs> the collusion between Amazon and Facebook because I'm sure that I'm sure you've had one of those experiences where you're 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 in your kitchen or or your dining area and Alexa is listening in in in, in the background and you no, start, she's not. <laughs> and it will mean you're probably smarter than I am. Yeah, and, I know Alexa here. And you start and you start talking about looking for like a new microwave and you sit down on your computer and there's an ad on Facebook for microwaves. Well, this is funny because something like that happened yesterday. Um, I woke up in the morning and I, I had to, yeah. um, because of the, the virus thing, I, we, I, there was another book signing scheduled up in the Vancouver area yeah. at the same bookstore that they wanted us back. Um, and I said, you know, I, I, it was, we all decided to postpone this for a while, yep. obviously. Yep. So I thought, you know, I, I woke up yesterday morning with this idea about, wouldn't it be cool if I could do some sort of a streaming event with several of the writers from the book oh my and God, they're, you know, awesome. they're scattered all over the world so it's going to require some coordinating so I thought I'm going to look up how I can do that and then 
like within minutes, I get a Facebook message from one of my contributors saying, hey, Missy, why don't we do some sort of an event online? I'm like, what the hell? That's exactly, oh. <laughs> because um, you've done such a great job with the serial killers. How about conspiracy theories? Do you have you know, like a conspiracy theory or two that you'd like to, to, to get sink your hooks into? And you know, I think we have enough of those running around right now. Maybe it's best to kind of avoid that right now. Well, I, I, I know, but I mean, <laughs> we we thought serial killers were were said and done. You come out with this book, and 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 you've you've revitalized the genre for some people. I would think that there would be at least one big, huge conspiracy theory you'd like to get into. But I oh, who knows? Who knows? You know, I, I, well, if I'm going to do it, I'll make sure it's not going to be like what everybody else has done. That's, at least I can safely say that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, I want to thank you f for coming on my podcast. Thank you for your patience, because what my listeners don't know is that all of my PCs decided to update all at once again. Um, there's a conspiracy for you, Microsoft. Um, do, you have any, uh, do you have any parting advice for would-be true crime writers and editors? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, really what I've said earlier about having some sense of responsibility uh, to to what you're what you're talking about and really don't sensationalize because that's just that's not really going to help the genre and it's just going to increase the, the backlash against it and we really don't need to do that because there is there is good true crime out there mm -hmm. uh, and we shouldn't be painted with a brush that is perhaps you know not deserved thank you so much for saying that i think that that's exactly what folks like myself and and other people who are really into this genre need to hear and uh, i'm really looking forward to your next book and i want to invite you to come back after it's been released and let's let's talk about that as well and obviously if you want to come back and talk about a case you're researching we'd love to have you absolutely i'd be happy to do that right. let's hope we all get through this this you know this this crisis all intact and you know doing lots more books and lots more podcasts absolutely thank you so much thanks thanks a lot eric this has been true crime one-on-one -on -one from the fedora chronicles find out more about the fedora chronicles and episodes of true crime one-on-one -on -one by visiting our website thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for The Fedora Chronicles on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so you can keep up with what we'll be talking about on the next episode. Facebook and Twitter and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and show topic suggestions. We might even read your comment on the air on a future episode. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing. For $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt or coffee mug. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash fedorachronicles. 
Exactly 12.5% of every sale goes to keeping this show and everything else on the Fedora Chronicles on the air, or online as it were. The theme song for this show is Hopeful Cello by Cosmo Lawson from Premium Beat, which provided the license for the song. The Fedora Chronicles podcasts, including True Crime 101, is edited and produced by me, Eric Render King Fisk. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2019-2020. All rights reserved.